Psalm 100, a psalm, a song for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's Psalm 100. What I'm going to ask you to do in your house church right now, if you are meeting with other people, if you're by yourself today, can I just encourage you to try your best to get involved with a house church where you're gathered together with God's people to, to be in his word, to celebrate community. But in your house church today, or if you're by yourself, would you please just reflect on Psalm 100? Give thanks, give praise. What are you thankful for today? How are you giving praise to God Almighty? You do that, and we'll be back together in just a few minutes. What we think about God is of utmost importance. Let me make it personal. What you think about God is of utmost importance. One theologian put it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its belief about God. What we think about God, what we believe about God is of utmost importance. I'm going to encourage you to find Exodus chapter 34 today. Exodus chapter 34, as we get into God's word, we're just going to go through the first nine verses. Exodus 34 verses 1 through 9, we've been looking at four prayers of Moses, and today we come to the final prayer in Exodus chapter 34. But while you're finding Exodus 34, I want to set the groundwork. I want to give you the context by reading from Psalm 106. Psalm 106 gives us the context. It just reminds us this way. It says this, God's people made a calf, and they worshipped an idol cast from metal. 
They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the gap before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. God's people had committed this heinous act of unfaithfulness because God's people have this uncanny ability to mess things up, and God has this relentless pursuit of his people because he wants to be with them. But these people had committed this heinous act, and God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to stand in the gap. I want you to intercede. And so we've been looking at these four prayers from Exodus 32, 33, and today in chapter 34. We see that Moses' prayer, prayer one was about finding God's favor. Prayer two was about asking for God's forgiveness. And God, if you won't forgive them, then there was this long pause. And by the way, if you haven't caught up with any of the Miami Valley teachings, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can find Miami Valley Church and you can catch up as Pastor Woldridge and I go through it all. But the second prayer was about finding, asking, and pleading and begging for God's forgiveness. And then the third prayer that we saw last time we were together was very simply, Moses said two things. He asked for two things. He said, God, show me your ways. And we asked the question, are you interested in knowing God's ways or will you settle for knowing his works? God, show me your ways. And then he said, God, show me your glory. And God said, you can't handle my glory, but I'll show you all of my goodness. I will proclaim my name to you. And I'll just let you know that I am God and that I am good and that you can trust me. So that's where we pick up the story today in Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 9. The prayer itself comes in verse 9. I just want to read a few verses, and I really want us to zero in on two verses today. But let's just go in Exodus 34, starting in verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, notice it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write, them, write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks of the herds may gaze in front of the mountain. So Moses climbed out the, uh, chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones. And he went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Remember, that's what God promised him. You can't handle my glory. I'll show you all my goodness. And I will proclaim my name. And then verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellious, rebellion and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children of their children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worship. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive us our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Moses is about ready to have this encounter with God where God is going to chisel again in those stone, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. And we'll pick that story up uh, next time we're together as we begin to look at what God says as he repeats and, and, and uh, reveals again the ten, ten Words. But I want us to zero in on verses 6 and 7. As God comes down and he proclaims his name, I need you to see something. God does something amazing in this verse. In verse 6, it starts out this way. Uh, the Lord, the Lord, two times, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, the Lord. In Hebrew, when you double a word, it calls attention to the superlative. Maybe I could say it this way in the Hebrew language, you know, there aren't 
vowels there aren't a lot of punctuation marks and there's no way to emphasize something you can't highlight it you can't put it in italics you can't boldface it so what happens when god himself doubles his name and he said hey i want you to pay attention it's yahweh yahweh yod hey va hey what does that mean when god himself doubles his name for one thing i think it means that we better pay very close attention to this very unusual verse when Yahweh decides to give Moses a personal introduction to his ways, remember Moses said, show me your ways and show me your glory. Show me your ways and show me your glory. And God said, you can't handle my glory. I'll show you my goodness and I will proclaim my name. And in his name we find God's ways. So when Yahweh decides to give Moses a personal introduction to his character, he starts by proclaiming this, his absolute and total superiority over every other existing thing in the entire universe. When he says the Lord, the Lord, he's not, he's saying, I am not simply God. I am the only God. I am the mighty God. I am the mighty one. I am the highest of all. I am the unsurpassed one. I am the magnificent one. I'm the holy one of Israel. There is none who can compare to me. No, not one. For the children of Israel and for Moses himself, and yes, even for us this day, this declaration is extremely important. These people were being re-educated. We've told you that God has taken the children and his children out of the land of slavery. He's moving them to the land of freedom, and he stops them here at this mountain. He's going to, to reorient them. He's going to re-educate them. He's going to reorganize them according to his word, according to what worship really is, uh, what service really is, what, what it means to live like a community. But these people have just spent about 400 years, over 400 years, in a culture of multiple deities. They were saturated with Egyptian thinking, and God needed to reorient them. He started with a demonstration of his superiority over every one of the Egyptian gods. Remember, that's what the ten plagues were about before he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then he's exhibited his power and majesty on their way to Sinai and even at Sinai. And here now he provides Moses with a personal announcement of his character. It starts as if it's in bold, as it is as if it's in bold type, it's underlined, and it is italicized all three. I am the Lord of Lords, I am the King of Kings, I am the one and only God of all creation. Do not miss this. This is proclaimed, not deduced. This is direct communication. This is direct confrontation, not inner feelings. This is how I feel about God. This is overwhelming holiness, an awareness of the overwhelming holiness of God. And I get to this point and I wonder, why aren't we trembling yet? Why aren't we struck numb? Why aren't we on our faces before him? Why aren't we trembling, afraid for our life? Moses had had the sheer audacity to ask God, show me your ways and show me your glory. Moses' request to see God's glory to me is mind-boggling. Moses must have had an unconscious death wish. He had no idea what he was asking, and it was only through the Lord's gracious protection that Moses didn't die on the spot. But that gives us a clue about the insensitivity that 400 years of wrong, think wrong thinking produces. And it doesn't take us 400 years of wrong thinking. It takes us four days. It takes us four weeks. It takes us four months. It takes us four years of wrong thinking. And it produces this incredible insensitivity about who God is. Moses didn't understand the terrifying nature of God's holiness yet. And if Moses didn't get it, how much less are we aware? Here's what I want to ask you to do right now. I want to ask you to take a moment, for us to take a moment out of our oh-so-important lives and put ourselves in Moses' place on that day. Reflect with me for just a second. And that's about all the time we have to do this. What was it like to have the glory of God pass by? Imagine the power of that voice that was proclaiming his utter uniqueness. Push aside that seeker-friendly, God is my best friend, white-bearded Santa Claus character we've come to embrace and define God by. Today, I'm asking you to let your soul, not your mind, but your soul, tremble before God's awesome majesty. Let him invade our carefully crafted and constructed calendars especially as we move towards Christmas. 
Some of us haven't even found the time to even read through the Gospel of Matthew. There's not, uh, you're not too late. We'd encourage you to continue reading through the Gospel of Matthew, the entire story before we get to Christmas. You can do it. You can read through the entire Gospel of Matthew one more time if you even start today. But if you will just take a moment and try to place yourself there, I believe we would let our worlds be blown apart. We suddenly would have a, an understanding of our own insignificance to understand that, that life, it's all about God. It's always been about God. It will always be about God. Just one moment, maybe any more than that would kill us. But we need to take this moment today to reset, to reorient all of our lives. We need to forget however many years it's been. They spent 400 years. Maybe it's been a couple of years. Maybe it's been a couple of months. We need to forget all the years of seductive preoccupation with our plans and our purposes. And we need to start. This is how Moses' fourth prayer starts. It starts with him listening to God proclaim, the Lord, the Lord, and trembling. What you believe about God is of utmost importance. So what is God like? Let's just unpack these verses a little more. The Lord, the Lord. Then it says, the compassionate. I would submit this to you today. To the downcast, God is compassionate. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate. Some of your translations say merciful. I am so grateful for this word. When God chooses to describe himself, and remember Moses said, show me your ways. And God said, you want to know my ways? Here they are. Let me describe myself. And one of my ways is I'm compassionate. And when God chooses to describe himself, the first word that he uses is that he's full of compassion. That's really good news for those of us who've been battered and wonder if God really cares. God is compassionate. I am so thankful that God didn't use these, these powerful, these elite, these kind of big theological words. He doesn't say I'm omnipotent, I'm omnipresent, I'm omniscient. He doesn't say I'm full of wisdom. He says, I am compassionate. You want to know my ways? I am the God of compassion. I love my own. I will never forsake you. He will always be available for us in the time of our need. His compassion allows him to deal gently uh, with us when we're weak and fragile and failing human beings. He's full of tender sympathy for our sufferings and the miseries of our frail humanity. Do you wonder if God cares? Wonder no more. He does. He is full of compassion. He is full of mercy for you. He alone is called the God of all mercy. Next, look what it says. After he says that he's, he's compassionate, he says he's gracious. He, the Lord, the Lord, uh, uh, compassionate and gracious. The compassionate and gracious God. Grace is good news for the undeserving. Grace means to give someone something that they don't deserve. It's what says Christianity apart from every other religion. In every other religion, you have to get what you deserve, and you work hard to deserve it. Christianity is exactly the opposite. With Christianity, we get what we don't deserve. We deserve judgment, but instead God gives us grace. One theologian said at one occasion, without grace, Christianity is nothing. Friends, God doesn't give us what we deserve. God is gracious to those of us who are undeserving, to those of us who have sinned against him time and time and time again. Then the verse continues. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. I would say it this way. With the, with the defiant, God is patient. He's slow to anger. It means um, slow to boil over. <laughs> when it comes to God, you and I grumble, we sin, we rebel, we disobey. 
And God could rightfully judge our sin, but God doesn't have, check this out, God doesn't have a short fuse. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. It's as if God takes a long, deep breath before dealing with our sin. He never flies off the handle. He doesn't rush to punish. Instead, he gives us time to repent. In fact, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, said it this way in one of the letters he wrote, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is slow to anger. Think about how much patience God has showed us when we wanted nothing to do with him. Think about how much patience he showed us when we've let him down time after time. God is patient with the defiant. The next thing I'd say about God is he reveals his ways. Show me your ways. I would say it this way. With the undesirable, God is loving. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. This may be my favorite word in the whole passage although it's really hard to choose. I already said that maybe compassionate was my favorite word, but, but I really love this word abounding. What does it mean that he's abounding in loving kindness? Autumn and I, from time to time, will be given gift cards to restaurants to go out to eat. And uh, when we go out to eat, one of the things we pay attention to is the amount of money that's on the gift card because uh, there is an upper limit. And if we're not careful, the things that we order off of the menu would exceed the amount of money that's on the gift card. Now, we might have a little bit of money to pay a difference, but we're not available with unlimited money. We have to pay attention to how much money we're going to spend because we are not abounding in money. We have to be careful, but when it comes to his love, God is not on a budget. He does not have an upper limit. He is abounding in steadfast love. Okay, I said that abounding was my favorite word, but I sure love this steadfast love. Some of your translations say loving kindness. It just means this. His love is a stubborn love that just won't give up. He won't give up on you and me. He's abounding in his love. His love never, never, ever runs out. Then look at this next, it continues, the Lord, the Lord, that compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. It also means he's abounding in faithfulness. I would put it this way, for the doubtful, God is faithful. Have you ever realized in life that there are just some things that aren't stable? Some people in your life, for instance, you just don't know who you can trust when you need to depend on someone. But God isn't like that. He's completely dependable. He's reliable, stable, and secure. You can count on him for he never, ever wavers. Look, the passage continues, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. For the disobedient, God is forgiving. To a nation that has just committed a heinous sin, and to you and me as well, this is very good news. The word to forgive in this instance has a picture of it of, of lifting something up. It's as if God sees our sins and he says in effect, let me take that off of you. Let me get rid of that for you. Let me remove it. Let me pick it up and take it and put it away. I also love in this passage of how the, the author just compiles and piles on word after word after word. He says that he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. God is telling us that he can handle our sin no matter what the category they are, no matter how deep, no matter how dark. God's forgiveness is so much greater. His sin, our sin is no match for God's grace. But a word of caution here. As we think about God showing us his ways, God, please show me your ways, Moses proclaimed, or asked, and God said, let me proclaim my name. And I would say it this way, regarding the demands of the law, don't forget God is just. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Just in case we've started to get the idea that God's soft on sin, God reminds us that he's anything but. Although God delights in giving us grace, those who refuse to repent will be judged. God doesn't erase, if we refuse to repent, God doesn't erase the consequences of those sins. And unfortunately, sin has many consequences. And sometimes the children and grandchildren of those of us who sin feel the, sin, feel the effects of the sinful behavior of we who are their parents. Don't use God's grace as an excuse for sin. Turn away from your sin and turn to God today. God, show me your ways. And God says, here's my name, the Lord, the Lord. And he pours out in uh, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the God of the kind of God that he is. Look at now at verse 8 with me. Look what happens. It says this, Moses bowed his face to the ground at once and worshiped. In the Hebrew language, word order is important. And as soon as God showed Moses his ways, as soon as God proclaimed his name and showed him who he was and how he operated, what he was like, it says the first words in the Hebrew language of this sentence are hastily, at once, uh, immediately, without delay, Moses bowed his face to the ground. Moses didn't hesitate. He knew immediately when God revealed his ways and who he was, Moses said there's only one thing to do. And the first thing he did was he did what was normal. He bowed his face to the ground. And the world in which they lived in that time of the, uh, in that part of the world, when a, a roy when royalty would come by, when a dignitary would come by, because they were in the world's opinion more important than you, when they passed by you, you simply bowed your face and you didn't make eye contact, you didn't look directly at them. Moses did what was normal, but I need you to see this: Moses also did what was needed. It says he bowed his face to the ground and he worshipped. You hear that, and I hear that, and it means all kinds of things. We might think it means he broke out in singing, he broke out in musical, uh, playing musical instruments. It might mean he crafted a well-honed sermon. It might mean a whole bunch of things, but this word worshiped, it's a different word. This word here says Moses bowed his face to the ground and he worshiped. It simply meant, it means that he fell on the ground with his face to the ground. It wasn't just enough of a position for Moses to, to simply say, he's like any other dignitary that walks by, I'll just bow my face to the ground. It's like, no, he's totally unlike anyone else. And the only thing I know to do is to get low so nobody sees me and everybody can see him. He bowed his face to the ground, but he also fell on his face in front of God. I've been thinking a lot lately about what it means to be on our face in front of God. We talked about it as we get together every Tuesday night, just this last Tuesday night, we talked about it as a group and we said there needs to be some times in our life when there's um, on our face thanksgiving. Jesus healed 10 lepers. He said, go, tell the priests, show yourself to the priests. And only one came back. And it says he got on his face in front of Jesus and said, thank you. Thank you. Ezekiel the prophet says he heard the voice of God and the only thing that he could do was fall on his face. There are occasions when in the New Testament when people say they go to the temple to pray and they ask God, uh, Lord have mercy, and they fall on their face to pray. There's a time when a man comes in front of Jesus asking for healing and he falls on his face. And I just wonder why in the world don't we have more people in America today falling on our face? Why don't I fall on my face more in front of this holy God who is so gracious and kind and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, abounding in, in forgiveness, abounding in faithfulness? Why, why, why doesn't that lead us to fall on her face? on our face and Moses did the only thing he knew how to do he fell on his face and then he prayed this prayer Lord he said 
If I've found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. He simply said, God, we need your favor. God, we need your forgiveness. And God, go with us. We need your presence. This is a picture of respect and reverence. It's a picture of humility and submission. And we need to capture that again. But how do we capture that? I'd invite you to come back to the mountain with Moses. But I want you to look someplace different because for all today who desire to see God's glory, I beg of you, look to Jesus. Imagine Exodus 34, the great hope that these words kindled in Moses' heart and the hearts of God's people. God offered Israel mercy. God offered Israel hope. God offered Israel forgiveness. God offered Israel his presence. God offered Israel his favor. And yet the clearest picture of the character of God, the very incarnation of these attributes, would come in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the very embodiment of everything we read in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Jesus is the mercy of God. Jesus is the love of God. Jesus is the forgiveness of God. And yes, for those who reject the Son of God, Jesus is the wrath of God. We must stand like Moses before the God who reveals himself and let him get our attention when he says, The Lord, the Lord, this is who I am. This, these are my ways. And like Moses, we should worship. Will we? Are we? We need to bow in respect and reverence to the Almighty God. We need to fall on our face in humility and submission to his mighty name. Go to the mountain with Moses. God invites him, come up to the mountain, just me and you. But I'd encourage you, don't go to Mount Sinai. I encourage you to go to the mountain that is greater than Sinai. Come to Mount Calvary. There our God will go and die on a cross so that we might live. There is Christ. There is the Lord of glory. Almighty God, we worship you for your faithfulness. We worship you. We bow in respect and reverence and humility and submission because, God, we need you. We need your kindness. We need your grace. We need your love. So, Father, I just ask right now that you would allow us to find that place where we can do nothing else, that immediately, without hesitation, without delay, we would bow in front of you. Father, thank you for forgiving our iniquity, our transgression, and our sin. God, I thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for all the ways that you love us. Thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to pay the price for our sin so that we could receive forgiveness of all our iniquity, our transgression, and our sin. No sin too deep, no sin too dark. Thank you that you are just. Thank you that apart from your grace, we would be guilty forever. But by your grace, we've been made not guilty. And in your presence, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we know that you are God and you are forgiving. God, we glorify you and we praise you. We fall down, we bow our heads toward the earth. And if necessary, we fall on our face to worship you just as Moses did. We do what is normal, but we need to start doing what is necessary, what is needed. Father, we worship and praise and exalt your name. God, I pray, dear Father, Show us your ways more and more and more and more. And God, show us your glory, your goodness, more and more and more and more. For in your goodness, in your glory, 
in Jesus Christ, the one who came so that we might live. We see you. Father, I pray, give us your favor. We need your forgiveness. Show us your ways. May we see all your goodness. May we hear you proclaim your name. May we acknowledge that you and you alone are God. And may we be able to say, like our Lord Jesus did before he went to the cross, Father, we have brought you glory on this earth by completing the work you've given us to do. And we won't do that unless we start in awe of you and your name. And so we bow in reverence and respect, in humility and submission. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you. 
Thank you. 
Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thank mm-hmm. you.